0: and welcome to What's Wrong with Wolfie, my name is Jason and I'm Rich
1: and I'm Chris
0: and this time it's the Movies of 1995. And at the top of the show as always I'd just like to give a really big shout out to our supporters Andrew and Christian. thanks very much for the continuing support mates, uh, yeah you're crazy people but we really love you so uh, thank you from all of us for supporting us and if anyone listening would like to do the same then you could do so by heading over to patreon.com forward slash the wolfie pod where you will find three lovely tiers to choose from starting from just a pound guys. It's been a while. I think we've finally recovered from the Biffo episode. Do you think so? <laughs> yeah. 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 I believe so. Yeah. We've, we've had to have a sit down. We've had, had to have a, a couple of weeks off. I had to remaster and drop a very old episode just so we could have that little break, um, to, uh, to recover from the, the, the immenseness of, of Biffo being on our show. Um, but we're all ready to go for the movie to 1995.
2: I would yeah. say so. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes.
0: Brilliant. Uh, Before we do get into the movies of 1995, um, I need to ask a question, and I need to ask that question before it all goes, because that's what normally happens before I get to this question, Um, and that is, what's in your glass, Rich? It's still in my glass, it's not
2: completely gone. Yes! We made it! 12% left. (laughs) I've got a lovely sour from Vault City Brewing. It's a marshmallow smoothie sour with peach, apricot and cherry excellent very very nice 10.5% I thought Lovely. that was going to
0: be your rating then 10.5 I was going to say is it that good it's got to go over the 10
2: it's good so yeah I'd give it a good 9.2
0: banging uh, better, than nice. the, yeah, better than the last one I think yeah, cause it's, uh, mm-hmm. you had because you couldn't rate that one for I can't even remember what it was now it's been so it was long poor, but it, yeah I forget it, uh, what it was mm, it was poor yeah it was that poor you forgot and you don't want to ever see it again but mm-hmm. uh, this one sounds a banger and I need to add it to my list <laughs> one if one day I get round to a craft beer shop, I will know what to look out for. So beautiful. Um, so let's move on, and I just want to touch upon a couple of things that have uh, happened in the world recently that have got like a nice '90s reaction. Uh, reaction '90s reference, should I say? Um, and the first one is some movie trailers that have dropped recently, um, and, and the three I want to just as, as to quickly talk about is uh, the, the new Home Alone trailer uh, that. The trailer for the new Scream film that's coming out next year, and also the Lightyear trailer. Um, I just want to just quickly say about the Home Alone trailer. It's like, why?
1: I I uh, haven't seen the trailer. I didn't even know it was happening. Was it? Oh, okay. <laughs> was it
2: Home I, Sweet Home Alone or something? Oh cool? God! Something oh no! Like that. Yeah, it's the trailer. Something because um, it's really odd. Like, kind of like how people poked fun at. Um, Ghostbusters Afterlife having this real like reverence for something that's not really Mm. kind of all that reverent. In just the trailer alone, most of the dialogue is a reference to the original film. Like, but really weird lines. There's a bit where I forget what the line is now. Um, Oh, Kevin's mum in the airport. Mm -hmm. When she's just like, you know, my son's home alone. You know, blah, blah, blah. Something about I'm a mother. You know, I need to be with my son, and like the mum in the trailer says that, as if it's kind of this real. Like, do you remember? Do you remember that line? Oh god! And it's like really like meant to be this powerful moment. Like we're 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 channeling it. Like it's like okay, cool, that's nice. I guess I recognise the lines, but I don't know why you're doing this. You're making a really like
1: effort. So, so they're just. It. Packing it full of member yeah. berries. Um, yeah, yeah
2: it's it's a British family in America in America as well. Like the kids British, so already oh. I'm like you can write oh, <laughs> off. It's like the kid from like Thunderpants or whatever it is <laughs> playing Kevin McAllister. It's fucking yeah, it's weird. It's just not
0: right, is it? And yeah. even the uh, burglars, um, when we see those, they're uh, just. It's just not right, is it?
2: Wasn't one of them
0: recognizable? Who was it? Now I have no idea. Oh uh, no, idea, uh, no like- idea. I think I was. Um, Looking away, <laughs> like no, what
2: are they doing? I swear, kind one of, of them, someone like sticks out to me. Um, bu- 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 oh yeah, Buzz is in it as well. By the way, he plays a cop.
0: Yeah, you see the McAllister uh name badge on the yeah, on the see, police like, uniform, don't you? Do you get it? It's McAllister. No. Yeah, Jesus, you know. But hey, yeah. yeah, but we're 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 obviously looking at this with E's uh, rose tinted glasses at the original, and I'm sure it will yeah. do very well. Um, because my youngest is very excited for this film and he can't wait to sit down and watch it. Uh, so in that sense, Disney have probably succeeded.
2: But for us, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a mess, really. Oh, yeah, Rob Delaney is one of the burglars. That's a shame. I like Rob Delaney. <laughs> but, um, oh, well.
0: Yeah, so you, you, you've not seen the, the trailer for this one, Chris? No. Okay, well, that's a little homework and then we can hear your thoughts the next <laughs> time. Um what about Scream? Did you see the Scream trailer? No. Oh okay. <laughs> doing, doing well on this segment, aren't we? Um unlike the Home Alone uh trailer, the Scream one I thought looked really good. Uh I think they'd uh I don't know, the, the the comparison between the two was just night and day for me. Um I was very much more excited for the Scream movie and I mean I don't really know why. I mean I don't think there's anything that much different in it. Um have, have you seen this one Rich as well you haven't I've you still
2: not watched the this I kept meaning to when it first dropped I mean, yeah I won't pretend to be necessarily be like massive into scream I watched like the first two I think that was it didn't I think watch
0: that's watch all you TV really series. needed no yeah. I didn't need that. to see that wasn't it
2: one of those like diminishing returns kind of things that just yeah. wasn't I'm not I won't pretend I'm really I, I like horror but I'm not one of those Um, horror diehards where I really follow all the big franchises and I'll watch them all and really take them in and get into the lore and...
1: Well, that's what I... (laughs) I've, like... I don't, like, slasher horror. It doesn't do anything for me. Fair enough, yeah. Getting with the the supernatural kind of stuff, then, yes, that's interesting. You can really sort of do some of it, but it reminds me of, like, The Conjuring. Like,
2: love a film. It's
1: just... Every, I still haven't watched the others, but I've sort of revisited it. I found it on Netflix and I was like, it's not as bad as I thought it could be. (laughs) Given (laughs) the, given the, given the controversy of, you know, the Warrens and their research and stuff like that, it could have been handled a lot worse. But I've never, like, never really watched Screams or Stasher films, to be fair.
0: Fair enough. Um, but yeah, no, I was quite excited. And they, they've got all the old characters back for Scream, and uh, it's a continuation of, of, of the stories from that we saw in the original. So um, yeah, it's that's, that's quite good. But uh, I think the last one we just, I just want to touch upon is the Lightyear trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, was stunning. Do you think so?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, visually stunning, and I think the way they're handling it is also inspired, and. Yeah, it just it looks amazing.
0: How how are we playing this in the Toy Story world? Is this just like uh like the cartoon movie that's in the Toy I Story think... world that the toy would be based on?
1: Yeah. It's I think I read on one of the Twitter threads it's like it's taking place in Pixar's real world. But is it... I, I can't remember. Is it the exploits of an actual real astronaut that the cartoon was based on, which the actual figure is then based on that? <laughs> so it's yeah. something like that. It's yeah, not yeah. like the straight-up cartoon. Yeah. And it's something that I wish, and I'm waiting for Pixar to come out about Cars and say the same kind of thing. Because all the yeah. Pixar films happen in Pixar's real world. Every mm-hmm. single one of them. But Cars is this jarring anomaly, They you know, like well, what, like, <laughs> what are you doing with it? Is it just to tell people that it's just a cart, a show within their world or something like that, because it just physically doesn't make sense with the rest of Pixar stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I never really thought of it. I've never really thought that deep about Cars so uh, well, neither, it's, it's quite interesting to, to <laughs> yeah.
1: it's, it's yeah. one of those things that like just doesn't make sense in the Pixar universe like yes fair enough okay. you've got you got monsters but each film self-contained but actually yeah. always takes place kind mm-hmm. of in a real world yeah. yeah so where's so where's Cars with that hmm? is it Cars is weird is it someone like playing it. with Cars is it uh, I just, <laughs>
0: Pixar multi-universe
1: <I> <laughs> yeah the way the Lightyear trailer just looks stunning. I it can't did, wait to hear Chris yeah. Evans.
0: Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, um, I think he he's quite the right choice for this, um, to pull off the voice from uh, Tim Allen. Um, I don't fun. think they're going to get him back for the voice, are they?
1: Well, anyone taking work out of Tim Allen's hands is a good thing.
0: I suppose. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's what I mean. I
2: mean. I like it as well. It's not even one of these things where it's just like, oh, we just want to... It works in the whole kind of meta of it as well, is that you would mm. get someone else to play the character. It's yeah. not just a case of, oh, Tim Allen's not doing it. It's like, well, no, that's how it kind of works.
1: Yeah, and- it would mm-hmm. work if, like, the cartoon is voiced by Tim Allen and also the action figure, because you can explain that with a sound chip. Exactly. But by doing it this way, you can completely change it and do what you want with it if it's based in semi-reality.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and I, I like that it can work either before or after Toy Story like it could be Hollywood years later in yeah, 2022 yeah. Mm. making this film based on you know an old show an old action figure line mm-hmm. or even a remake of an existing film and it, it works it being yeah, the exploits of the character that led to the toy it, it works in whichever way you look at it in terms of the timeline if mm. it's before Toy Story or it's after Toy Story I just, yeah, it's it's really, really cool. And that trailer, the, the tone it struck was just yeah. cool. I mean, yeah. Chuck and David Bowie in it, I was like, yeah, this is way more way more thought went into this than even for Pixar, you know, we yeah. expected.
0: Yeah, I had a bit of a, a Star Wars moment in that trailer as well. Um, um, I don't know if you two felt that as well. I think there was a scene where it was all swampy and dark. Yes, and... Yeah, he's up like peering mm-hmm. up over the log or something. <clears throat> yeah, Yeah, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah, uh, it looks stunning.
2: It does look stunning.
0: Yeah, very excited for uh, two of those films. So um, I feel like I will be made to sit down to watch a Home Alone film. So expect to hear some crying on a future episode.
2: (laughs) In closing, just please give Chris Evans more voiceover work and not the other Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean Chris Hughes either. I mean, there's another Chris (laughs) who shouldn't be allowed anywhere near a recording booth. Hemsworth. no, come on. <laughs> no. I, mean, I know who wanted, you're talking about. you want to look but, at him, obviously. Yeah, no. Like,
1: the Chris with the uh, exclusionist church and uh, yeah. all that I heard weird say, apparently, shit.
2: Apparently, the reason he's doing lots of voiceover work now is because you can only get that work without being vaccinated. That's right. I heard Which makes that. me hate his guts even more. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Now I, now I get it. Now yeah. it makes sense. That's why he's doing Mario and Garfield. <sighs> <sighs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Matt Barry yeah. God Garfield, goddammit. Oh, yeah. that would be amazing. Yeah. I'll I I send you a video on Twitter later if you haven't seen it already. Okay. Um
0: I was uh yeah very slightly uh disappointed. Well I don't say slightly, I was I was quite disappointed that Chris Pratt was gonna voice Mario when it was announced. <laughs> um <laughs> just do just give it to Charles, mate, you would have sort it out.
1: The thing is I think this is gonna be the, the downfall of Chris Pratt. Hopefully. <laughs> like he comes from basically this like, you know, chubby comedic actor and everyone starts to love him and then all of a sudden he goes completely the opposite way and everyone's like uh dude really yeah <laughs> like, what the f- what the fuck are you doing like <laughs> yeah. it's just a Not- shame
0: he's kind of wrapped up in the marvel world as well isn't he at the moment so mm-hmm. that's the trouble
1: but guardians obviously you know third will happen
0: oh yeah but i think he's going to be in the next thor as well possibly isn't he so probably um and
1: then whatever performances they can green screen in and You know, patched together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Well, there we go. So, um, yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing those films at some point. But um, let's move on. And I've just got a couple of other little bits I want to touch on before we get into it. And the second is we have got an advert coming out in print media. Ooh. Yes. Um, Rich, our lovely Rich, has designed an advert. And on that advert, it has our brand new logo. Um, that which is also very lovely designed. Busy Um, boy. You have been a busy boy. and It's all beautiful. And uh, that advert is going to appear in the next issue of Sega Mania magazine. (laughs) Fucking crazy. It is crazy, isn't it? (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, if you don't pick up that magazine and uh, you would like to see the advert, um, just for the advert alone, just go and buy it. (laughs) Yes. You you can find the magazine over at Mania Sega on Twitter. Um, they've got another couple of issues that you can buy right now. And uh, I think I mentioned it a few, few episodes ago when I got a copy of the first issue. And uh, it's all very lovely written. Um, they're going through the years a little bit like we are with each issue touching upon uh, a year of the 90s and what's happening with Sega in those years. And uh, talking about the games that came out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, it's a good read, and uh, written by some lovely people. So uh, yeah, go and check it out if you haven't done so already. And uh, I'm very excited to see this advert in 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 real life. It's going to be beautiful, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. going to smell that page definitely.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> it's going to get that baby framed. <laughs> yeah. Um, And as I mentioned, we have a brand new logo and that's just to uh, celebrate our first year of being a podcast. Uh, I can't believe it's been a year. Yeah, we we made it. Uh, The 8th of November was the first episode. uh, Well, the first episode dropped uh, onto our podcast feed. Um, Yeah, so we did it, guys. Well done. We made it. And uh, so, yeah, so Rich has made this lovely uh, logo with four distinct fonts in it. Uh, You're going to tell the
2: lovely people uh, which ones they were, Rich? So it was um, (laughs) Star Trek Voyager, and then it was Jurassic Park, and then it was Terminator. I can't think why we had Terminator in there. Um, (laughs) And finally, it was basically kind of more just capturing the general feel of, like, digitizer and teletext, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's kind of what I went for. I was what I was yeah. inspired by. Yeah,
0: it's beautiful. And uh, we promise not to change this logo for quite some time or <laughs> well, until Rich gets it. Uh, and it, yeah, two years. two years. Can you manage that much?
1: Yeah.
0: Mm? Okay. We'll wait and see. Um, so, yeah, um, I, we, I went back and remastered our pilot episode because I went back and listened to it. And uh, yeah, that was really like noisy with background noise on there and, and lots of other stuff going on. So I went back and uh, I, I boosted myself up because I was really quiet on there. Uh, Got rid of all that background noise, uh, remastered the whole episode and then re-released it onto the feed. So uh, that's been live for a week or so. Um, So I hope you've listened back to that and enjoyed that. And if you haven't, then it's sitting there waiting to be listened to. So, uh, yeah. I I didn't
2: appreciate you um, giving us a walkie talkie though, and replacing the word terrorist with the word hippie. uh, Yeah. it was unnecessary. <laughs> it was unnecessary. And I'm then, sorry, man. I mean, it was Chris riding know. on the, on the do-back in the background as well. It was <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. It was pointless. You know, I,
0: was a, I was a different man back then. What can yeah. I say? You know, I learned from my mistakes. Um, I'm a better man, so, you know, yeah. it won't happen um, and I guess the only other thing I need to mention is that we're on YouTube as well now. Uh, I found a lovely app that converts our audio into a video. Um, it's nothing fancy, but it means I can upload the episodes onto YouTube. So if that's how you like to consume your podcast, then that's how you can do it now. It's, on, it's uh, The last two episodes are on there, and uh, every episode going forward from now on will be on there as well. All right, let's get on with the show um, because I'm sure whoever is listening to this is going, For fuck's sake, can we just please get on with it? Um, and let's have a quick look at the top 10 top grossing movies in the UK of 1995, shall we, quickly? Um, and you please stop me uh, if there's a film that you want to talk about quickly. Uh, at number 10, it was Disney's Effort, uh, Hunters. Never saw it, never have, probably never will, which I'm sure a lot of Disney Disneyites are probably shouting at me, but uh, there's better Disney films to watch. With My Time and Pocahontas, mm-hmm. it's not one of them. Uh, number nine was Die Hard with a Vengeance. I don't know if this film has mixed reactions. I don't know with some people, but I mean, I really liked it. I thought the chemistry between yeah. Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson were great. Wasn't and wasn't too bad. I... Um, the action in it was fun. Um, but I can tell you've got some issues with it, Rich.
2: It's definitely kind of gone down for me over the years. I'm yeah. one of those people and people kind of think I'm crazy but I feel like it falls apart after the twist comes in mm-hmm. and you find out that Simon is actually just a piece of shit and he doesn't care about his brother. I, I kind of like the whole proper revenge thing and it wasn't just, it was just another heist and mm-hmm. it kind of got silly and like you know McLean surfing on the top of that bullion truck and I was like what is this shit? <laughs> like, I just like the idea of this bomber. You yeah, know around fucking... Yeah. LA, and it's just...
0: I think it was uh, showing signs of what was to come from the franchise, Yeah, um, but I think it was the last, probably decent, die-hard film uh, that got released, unfortunately. Well, um, after this,
1: Bruce Willis just came along and sleewalked through his projects and took cash, basically. So, yeah. yeah, pretty Been much. doing it ever since.
0: Yeah, which is also a shame, really. Um, the man is, uh, could have done so much more with his time, I guess, but... It is what it is, I guess. So yeah, number eight was Apollo thirteen. Uh, I feel like we might be getting into that a little bit later. Uh, number seven, get ready, was uh, Waterworld. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Peeper. <laughs> Peeper. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's I've got to say about that. Yeah. For, fair enough. I still can't quite believe we got to number seven, but there we go. Um, yeah, number six was Babe, with uh, with the nice little pink. Lovely film. Uh, number five was Braveheart with Mel Gibson. Um, cool. Was it cool?
2: Mm, not really. It no. was fine. It was typical Hollywood. It was not my kind um, of film at the history. time at all.
0: And yeah, I think you know, and I, I, I haven't seen it to the to this day, and I have no really big urge to watch yeah. it. So, is that bad of me? I don't know. No. No. Okay. Number four, Casper. Um, I loved Casper yes. when it came out. It was <laughs> yes. brilliant. great little film. I remember buying it on VHS and watching the shit out of it. Um, just just great fun, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And they kind of nailed nailed the conversion from the cartoon, didn't they?
2: Yeah, it's, it was around that time where, obviously, they were adapting a lot of these older like shows and cartoons into films, and there was a real... It was a real... Um, Differing, like, range and quality. Some mm-hmm. were pretty good. This was the ones that got it just right, and it was obviously a real, it was at that time still with a real, like, special effects showcases as well, and all the, all the, you know, transparencies they were using for the visual effects. It was really quite kind of cutting edge stuff. It was, yeah, it's really, really nice. It was a, yeah, it was, it was a lovely yeah. film, and it was impressive to watch as well. Just as when well as yeah.
1: yeah. they perfectly blended the physical with the CG, and it just, yes it just really just it just worked they got a bit deeper and darker than the cartoon it ever did yeah. but um but you know it's, it's an enjoyable little film and memorable to oh, watch it now mustachioed yeah, yeah. cameo and
0: yeah. oh god <laughs> you know. I have i mean i haven't seen it in years um yeah. and i think and i don't know i mean i've my i've never really sat down and watched it with my kids as they grew up and i don't really know why i didn't do that to um, oh, watch it come. But, uh, yeah, no, we should, shouldn't we? We should, we should then and, and, and have a, a rewatch, uh, cause like you say, the, the whole mix of the live and the, and the CGI, and it's just a fun family film. Yeah. Uh, and just a great watch, yeah. So, uh, number three was Golden Eye. Um, I feel like we might have something to say about it's that right. later. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Weren't the worst but it was not the worst bomb film, weren't the best, no. but you know game, game was shit. <laughs> Which one?
2: No, it wasn't. Yeah. It, was, it was bloody great. Spoilers. Yeah. Uh
0: number two was Star Trek Generations. Um I'm quite happy to see it got to that point at number two i'm blown Mm. away actually hey shit yeah Um, well golden eye took 16 million no nearly just touching 17 million pounds uh and generations took 20 so shows you how strong next generation was at
2: that time i understand a bond film like the first bond film in what how many years at a point six yeah and it felt like it was a big deal yeah, yeah, that's and why then, I wanna
1: bring it up. The, but it's yeah. just UK like, box
2: office I think it was weird, they didn't pop <laughs> <just like, laughs> out. It's yeah. just
1: strange, isn't it? Like how Trek. that happened. <laughs> but I suppose like Star Trek was at this I guess Next Gen had already finished in the States, so I reckon the UK was still broadcasting the last season or two of Next Gen mm-hmm. when the film came out. And I think in the late 90s Star Trek was at the highest of its powers mm. seriously was and now we're seeing that happen mm. again with all the new um, project projects coming out for Star Trek now but the 90s it was a powerhouse of stuff merchandise films television shows I mean for Christ's sake mm. there was a point where you had was it three Star Trek shows on the air at the same time crazy
0: yeah we got um, over- yeah. we got overtrekked
1: yeah, it was just <laughs> next next gen DS9 Voyager and then Enterprise, and it's just yeah, like yeah, and all the films. Yeah, and I think it was just a probably a mixture of that. Like say, James Bond films every two to three years, you'd have one, yeah. and then like you said, Jason, next gen was probably still being screened in most countries, so naturally mm-hmm. it would be more in the zeitgeist, wouldn't it? Than yeah. and a kind of obscure property that appeared after six and a half years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and there's uh, as always, as I'm uh, uh, hoping you'll touch upon later, uh, there's always an interesting story to tell uh behind the scenes of a James Bond film. Oh, by the way. <laughs> always. <laughs> always. Um and so let's just have a quick chat about the number one film in the UK of nineteen ninety five. Any guesses?
2: Hmm. Um
0: We've talked about it on a previous episode. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I I'm sure we have, and I've gone
2: completely blank. Um, Ninety-five. 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 Um, it's. Ooh. It's got.
0: Um, so I give you a clue. It's yes. got. It's got an actor in it that we uh, dedicated a whole episode to. Um, should
2: we dedicate an episode to an actor? Holy crap! <laughs> Christ. Oh. Jesus Christ, Rich. Oh yes, that guy, um, Jim Carrey. So it would have been. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I, oh,
1: I completely cashed out on that. <laughs>
2: oh dear, leave some out with you too. The mask. I mean, would it was would it no. carry over? I mean, because no. I, I forget what cinema releases were like back then. It was back in the day of like eight months apart. But, um,
1: <laughs> no,
0: it's also got uh, Val Kilmer.
1: And Jim Carrey. Batman Return.
2: Batman return oh, uh, Jesus forever. Christ. <laughs> yeah. Of course, yeah. Batman, oh, yeah. Like,
1: I, don't, I don't get Returns forever. forever mixed up.
2: Batman Forever. <laughs> well done. Oh, oh my say? God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, Batman Forever. It only took one million more than Star Trek, so uh, yeah. it was.
2: It only just got there eventually. So. Uh, Our top secret reunion that is Batman Forever. Love it.
0: Um, would you say this was the last greatest, the the last greatest Batman film of the nineties? Yeah,
1: i I really enjoyed it, and I still do today. T- yeah. Today, but I think because I was ten at the time, um, I would obviously know like, I had barely any concept of what's good or bad. I was just like, they recast. It looks colourful. It's noisy. It's got Jim Carrey in it. What could possibly go wrong? And I still enjoy it even now.
0: Yeah, again, it's a film I haven't gone back to and watched in quite some time and it's it's a film like I want to um, just because like I have fond of mem- memories of it when I think mm. about it uh, unlike the other film that followed it um, which I've tried to erase out of my brain <laughs> <laughs> for many reasons. And uh, yeah, I think, it, I think it was the last greatest Batman film of the 90s and uh, mm-hmm. uh, only the other day I, I, I heard that they were like with the Riddler, that um, they nearly gave it to Robin Williams. Yeah. How how do you think that would have worked?
1: Yeah. I think Robin Williams fell out with Warner Brothers over it, I believe. Um, But do you think he's got... Yeah. He's got... My brain holds so much information. (laughs) With Batman Forever, I was obsessed with Batman at this point in the 90s. Yeah. And obviously, I loved the 89 one, which I was too young to watch in 89. And Batman Returns, I remember getting on VHS, and I was like, "This is amazing." And then Batman Forever came along, and I was like, "I don't care, I'll I'll lap it up, I'll, um, I I had books, I had all the toys, you know, you name it. And to find out that Robin Williams was, I believe, initially cast and then fell out with Warner Brothers over it,
0: but do you or think, something
1: like that, and yeah. it would have been nut, it would have been nuts and crazy. But I don't think it would have been as manic. Physically, even though yeah. Robin Williams is a very physical presence, Jim Carrey's just got that, that manic ADHD wiry thing about him. That
2: whether just, they would have allowed it, but I think Robin Williams would have brought a darker edge to it. Yes. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. they would have allowed it, but yeah, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he? Wouldn't have gone full like one hour photo, which would have been fantastic. No. But mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he would, there would be the potential. Jim Carrey, maybe 10 years later, would have able to do that. But at the time, it was just Jim Carrey at the height of his power. He was going to be zany and made of elastic and, you know, doing Jim Carrey things. Um,
0: mm. But do you think, like, Robin Williams had the kind of stature? Is that the right word for it? Because, like, I think Jim Carrey had the height and the, the body shape for the Riddler. Yeah. yeah. More so than Robin Williams robin williams i mean obviously i never met the guy in, in real life but he also he also he, he always came across on screen like a little shorter than i yeah. always imagined the riddler mm. would be so in, I think, in that yeah, sense yeah,
1: with, with the riddler from the adam west show as well there's always that gangly wire framed kind yeah. of guy and wearing yeah even, yeah, even yeah. in the different versions of the comics and also the arkham video games is still presented as this tall wiry framed mm-hmm
0: so maybe Fine. maybe the better person got to play him in the end. I I, feel like I, I would have liked to have seen Robin Williams attempt it, but I think Jim Carrey probably was the right person in the end. Or was that just a hot take?
2: I think I think you could go either way, really. I yeah. Don't think, okay. yeah. I truthfully, I think Jim Carrey. i um, I think Robin Williams would have been great because I, I. At the end of the day, however you draw him on the page or how he's been portrayed previously. I think the Riddler isn't a character that's defined by, like, his stature or his mm. build. He is obviously mm-hmm. all very, very cerebral and, you know, you can kind of be whatever you want him to be. Um, yeah. It's not like, saying having a character like, you know, Kingpin or something in Daredevil where it's meant to be this yeah. sort of fridge, you know, or there's plenty of other characters I could use as an example. I think, yeah, it's the Riddler's presence in terms of how he thinks and talks and acts so I th- you could have got away with it I'm not saying you could have put like you know Ray Winston in it that would have been wrong but <laughs> yeah what about me I really will be it. this you slag like, been- <laughs> I'd, I'd have paid to see that, I'd love yeah, that. Uh, I would have loved it yeah I would
3: have paid for that
2: as well <laughs> have but, some uh, of that will yeah <laughs> yeah you fucking toy
0: like,
2: uh, oh man I want to watch that now brilliant but yeah
0: <laughs> um just a, a couple of other films that, were, that touched the top 20 quick. I just want to. There's just two. Um, one of them was uh, Sylvester Stallone's attempt to do in Judge Dredd.
2: Um, any opinions <laughs> on <we're> that? Yeah, it was a film. It was fine. Yeah. yeah. I it was a comedy halfway through. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
0: Probably wasn't yeah. Well, it wasn't it, the take on Judge Dread that everybody kind of wanted, um, which of was, it was cool, but that was
1: it. Yeah, it's the just one of those films, isn't it, that like becomes this like uh, committee-driven. Put this in there, put that in there. Which actors, which comedic actors, great at the moment? I was put him in yeah. as well.
2: The leading man has have his face visible for you know eighty-two percent of the movie, yeah. <laughs> otherwise the folk, you know, the test audiences will, you know lose it and yeah. give us um, a red X and it's like, well, yeah. like oh, no, 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 no like, and
1: let's put some weird blue contact lenses into Sylvester Stallone's eyes it's like, why? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, it's a shame um, it, was, it, and it was many a year until Carl Urban came along and kind of gave us the judge dread yeah. film that everybody wanted um, die in sh- the lane though um,
2: sorry? <laughs> die in the
0: lane though yeah, well, <laughs> it can't be perfect and the other film I just want to talk about quickly was Stargate um, that came in at number 13 and uh, yeah it was a good film wasn't
1: it I enjoyed Stargate it gets a lot of negative shit but I really enjoy it watched it in so long mm. I, was, hair. I was yeah perfect flat top <laughs> yeah so it's like I watched it quite a lot like before even the TV show was even a thing um, sure because I was obsessed with like you know the X-Files at the time, and yeah. not so much the ancient aliens, but everyone, you know, it was, that's it was, what, it, the, it was based on, was that theory right. of, what if aliens did come down, and help build it, so, well no, the human race is amazing, the human race built these things, we've just, lost the know-how, of technology, that did build them, I sound like a conspiracy nut, at the moment, but, <laughs> I, I just, I love the film, it asks questions that, was just, Really thought provoking, and it's just in mm. a cracking score by David Arnold um, mm-hmm. as well. So swooping and John Williams' yes, and it's just it's just a nice little film.
0: Yeah, I mean it's nothing. Um, excuse the pun, out of this world, but uh, no. <laughs> it was it was an enjoyable, fun film, and uh, with some interesting concepts in it, as you say. So uh, and and it built up. Uh, it, it was the 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 base of of the tv show which which really expanded on the idea Uh, and uh and it was a good show um i quite enjoyed the original stargate uh spin-offs not so much but uh yeah it was good it was a good franchise in the end I know we've seen what the the state of the UK box office was in and uh, what kind of films was uh, around at the time. Let's uh, let's move on to our movie picks, and uh, you've probably already kind of guessed what two of them are. So uh, we've only got one surprise. Uh, wait, which probably won't be a surprise because you would have seen the movie in the title. Anyway, so what am I saying? I have no idea. So shut the fuck <laughs> up, Jason, and let's get on with it. <laughs> Jesus. Some people don't
2: read, you know, they just go on the shit, you know? <laughs> Oh, that <laughs> yeah. is true, yeah. They just listen off the strength of the uh, What's Wrong With Wolfie brand, you know. Yes. They don't to the content.
0: So. absolutely.
2: <laughs> so, Chris,
0: I want to hear yeah. what you have to say about your uh, film pick. So please, why don't you go first?
1: Well, I've chosen... Goldeneye.
3: We've pulled the files on anyone who might have had access or authority at Seven Eye. The top name on the list is an old friend of yours, I understand. Oromov. They made him a general. He sees himself as the next Iron Man of Russia, which is why our political analysts rule him out. He doesn't fit the profile of a traitor.
0: Are these the same analysts who said the Goldeneye couldn't exist?
3: ...who said the helicopter posed no immediate threat and wasn't worth following? You don't like me, Bond. You don't like my methods. You think I'm an accountant, a bean-counter more interested in my numbers and your instincts. The thought had occurred to me. Good. Because I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War, whose boyish charms, though wasted on me, obviously appeal to that young woman I sent out to evaluate you. Point taken. Not quite, W 007. If you think for one moment I don't have the balls to send a man out to die, your instincts are dead wrong. I've no compunction about sending you to your death. But I won't do it on a whim, even with your cavalier attitude towards life. I want you to find Goldeneye, find who took it, what they planned to do with it, and stop it. And if you should come across Orimov, guilty or not, I don't want you running off on some kind of vendetta. Avenging Alec Trevelyan will not bring him back. You didn't get him killed. Neither did you. Don't make it personal. Now, um,
0: why have you chosen Golden Eye, I wonder?
1: Because being kind of a biggest James Bond fan growing up, mm-hmm. and this is the first one kind of in the 90s, where I had a six, six-year 6 hiatus due to a lawsuit and it was one of those films that i never saw in the cinema but i was conscious of it being around due to tv trailers and film trailers and so i think it it's kind of a a you it's not become a unique thing but it kind of is where it was like a soft reboot and you had pierce brosnan who had auditioned and been given the part in 1986. But then Remington still was renewed, tied up in a contract, and then went and went to Timothy Dalton. So finally, Pierce gets his break and comes in in 1995 with Goldeneye, and what a debut that was, like, back in 1995. I sound so old saying that. (laughs) It was just... Again, directed masterfully by Martin Campbell, who, anyone who is anything savvy with the franchise will know that he also ushered in Daniel Craig a few years later, about 10 years later. It's just fantastic. It's got, yes, it's dated. Yes, it's got some hammy performances, but it's just enjoyable film. And I, it's one of my, Frequent re- rewatches. It's one of the first, only Pierce Brosnan ones that I watch more than the others, I think. Well, Die Another Day, I've seen probably about twice. Two minutes, two times. Two minutes. <laughs> <two, two>, <laughs> just tune out halfway through. It's a good movie up to the halfway point. Um, but yeah, just Martin Campbell comes in and this is this ex- just explosive, amazing. It's shot beautifully as well. And yeah, Bond was back in Big style in nineteen ninety five hmm. after six years.
0: I um my dad has always been a big James Bond fan and I remember watching some of the uh Sean Connery, Roger Moore ones when uh growing up. Um but at this time I, I didn't really have that much interest in the James Bond films and I can't really remember giving this film that much attention until the video game came out.
1: Yeah, it's it's a strange one for me as well, because I don't I I don't have a direct inspiration for being a fan I can't pinpoint when I did but I know that I did before Pierce Brosnan came on the scene so I knew of them and enjoyed them probably early 90s probably 91 92 so yeah I was conscious of them and they were always on on a bank holiday they were always on on Easter Mon- Monday weren't they you know that kind of thing that I'm I remember sitting there, I was like, I'm enjoying this. This is, mm-hmm. I like this. Like, this is, it's got just, every film's got this perfect balance of just hamminess and over the top and realist, realistic stuff. And it was just enjoyable. It was just something mm-hmm. to sort of put on for two hours. People shooting stuff. There's big action set pieces. There's humor and there's some beautifully shot scenery. I've said before, the Bond films just come across sometimes as this beautiful travelogue to places that you would never go <laughs> go to. And yeah, revisiting Goldeneye was a pleasurable experience uh, last week. And it's just shot so well. And they had the guy, uh, Derek Meddings, I believe, come in and do the miniature work, who, if anyone knows that name, is from Thunderbirds. Yeah, well, he yeah. is. He had done a lot of miniature work for T V and film through the sixties and seventies and eighties and um I believe he was a friend with one of the production staff from the films and I think his first miniature work was for the Man with the golden gun, maybe. Wow. Did Scaramanga's Island miniature mm-hmm. and they blended it perfectly in optically in post production and yeah, just a miniature work where the Seven eye crash with the, the MiGs crashing into the dishes and the miniature explosion of the dam and chemical facility. It just looks stunning. Yes, you can see the
2: Thunderbirds t- in it. I I, I, you I, can. I love about it. I, you can. I, I love it. It's not even like a critical thing. That's like I, No. I, I love that you see that that fingerprint on it and it has yeah. that.
1: Yeah. You just... Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And it's just... You look at the, the special effects in Moonraker and, like, they look so brilliantly realistic because they are they exist just in miniature form and it's the only way you can before cg even in the 90 95 it was very early days for cgi still so to get something believable you'd have to film it in small scale and blow it up and it's just the work stunning like it, like you said rich it's just this quaint british thing where you can you can sort of see the wobble on the plane's wings as it's coming down on the cables <laughs> and and <laughs> when mm. you're watching it In you know On like a 60 inch 4k television And you just like You can see the miniature wobble As it's going down The guy wires To go into the, the dish and it, It's just it just It's amazing It's just pace great And Pierce Brosnan Let's just everyone He was grown In a lab To play James Bond Yeah Do you he's, think he's, Remington,
2: Remington still Just just, here. just
1: look at Just look at the guy He's the perfect lab experiment he's like, a, <laughs> he's like the cookie cutter version of James Bond which I've heard many times and it's quite accurate because he wanted to do what Timothy did before and that was have more control over his character and where he wanted to take the character and then they were like look we're bringing Bond back but we need to play it safe which they did so the soft reboot comes in and everyone's recast apart from Desmond Llewellyn and it's just He is just that quintessential cookie cutter actor. He's tall. He looks the part. And he gave the perfect. GoldenEyes is one, again, with The World's Not Enough. It's two of his best performances as Bond, because he gets that, he gets the smarminess, but he's not overdone. Yeah. He doesn't overdo the cringe. He doesn't overdo the humour. He, and let's, the way that dude walks, I mean, seriously, watch that (laughs) gum, watch that gum barrel. I've said this before. And I'll stand by it. Pierce has the best gun barrel in the whole franchise. Just watch that dude's confidence. He holds his swagger so straight and just, it's just great. He's just perfect. And the physical humor as well, like um, the bit in where he goes to the um, the yacht to find out what's going on with the Admiral. And yeah, he has that fight. That fight is perfectly executed. Where he just wraps that towel, that champagne towel, around that dude's head, yeah. kne- mm. knees him in the face, frozen downstairs, and then just casually just mops his brow with <laughs> that towel. It's just perfect. They got it all in spades, and I just remembered I didn't do a rundown of the plot, did I? <laughs>
0: That's fine. I, well, I was I was going to ask you uh, about the story, but um, you you saying about that and that fight? It it kind of like you said he he did it well to show Bond's vicious side. In those kind of moments, but he still managed to pull out Bond's humorous side as well, didn't he? Yeah, I
1: yeah. mean, and Pierce, just again, with Timothy, just like, before Daniel came along, those two just, they nailed the physicality of that character. And by having actors like Tim and like Pierce, like, Roger became unbelievable when he started putting, but like, he didn't work out, he didn't go to the gym, did he? Let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> and this this six foot four hulking Timothy Dalton comes in and it's just no one was prepared for that. Mm. And until Daniel Craig came in, that was the first time Bond, the actor had been given, not full control, but semi-control of where they took the character. So let's differentiate from Roger and let's go a bit a bit dark ready And if no one has seen License to Kill, please watch License to Kill. <sighs> so Great film. Watch that film. Yes, it kind of looks like a TV movie. Yes. It's very die hard, and but that was the point. Bond emulates what's big at the time.
0: Great film, great, what, great, great, great yeah. song, great, just great title song to too.
1: And then you can see the seeds of the Daniel Craig era being tested back in 1989. Bond's hurt, Bond bleeds, Bond suffers, and he goes rogue. And it's just, a f- and again, they played it so safe with Pierce. And they were like, right, let's have this perfect balance. But I'll go through the um, the plot with you. If you want Chase. Kind of run away from me there. <laughs> no,
0: you're right. Um I was I wanted to ask you if you thought that GoldenEye Story was was one of the better James Jones Bond stories, or do you think it was a bit uh silly?
1: Um It was very paint by numbers, um which most Bond films are, regardless of when you when they're made, but it kind of grounded the the technology in a believable way where an old Russian satellite that can emit an EMP pulse and wipe out cities was very it's quite clever and very advanced for you know that kind of 1995 film but it kind of works but I think the way they handle um, Sean Bean's uh, Alec Trevelyan reveal it kind of runs away of itself. Like, there doesn't need to be this massive bank of computers in this massive satellite dish. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't need to be there for the film. I think it was all visual substance over over anything else. I just wanted that visual. But, as it stands, it's perfectly kind of believable that a single-use EMP satellite to wipe out, you know, entire cities, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's it's handled really well. Yes, it's a bit bloated like any Bond film, but...
0: This was, like, uh, one of the first kind of Bond films where they brought more modern technology into the storyline like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, Goldeneye was... I think the satellite was, I think, said to be, like, 10 years old, so, like, a Cold War experiment. Yeah. That the UK were, like... and M confirms it that it exists and it can be used and like it's just handled really well but like I said until until you get to the the end of the film you're like what's the none of the, the computers don't yes transferring money digitally and then wiping out the evidence makes sense but then there's no massive motive. He's not going to take over the world. It was just financial gain. Mm-hmm. So that kind of grounds it like that. But mm-hmm. the film, the film just looks and plays just fantastically. And
0: what was, um, what was your favorite f- part of the film? Was it the tank? I oh, that, that, nice that
1: scene or... is again, all the scenes are played beautifully and you just got this shot and he jumps out the window and natalia has been captured and it's a classic bond moment where you just you don't see it coming and he jumps out stands on the side and looks around and then the camera just focuses on a tank <laughs> yeah and apparently it took i think days of choreography with a stunt driver days to get the timing correct because if the skid of the car was slightly off then the tank would come through the wall too soon or too late and it wouldn't work or it would wipe out the stunt driver in the car (laughs) but just the way it bursts through that that brick wall and all shot on Leaveston Studios and they rebuilt all of St Petersburg city streets there to film and it's just up until that point in the film you didn't see so much carnage and it was just like what the hell literally destroying buildings Monuments. (laughs) And it just bursts through. Yeah. And I'm so happy that they replaced Eric Serra's score for that scene. Yeah. Because Eric Serra's score, I've heard, like, it just, like Home Alone 2, it just sounds like he recorded a tool chest going down some stairs and then just going, there's the score. It's literally (laughs) the side. It's, it's literally like that. It is literally like, kitchen equipment being thrown down some stone steps yeah. and then put it through a synthesizer and gone there's your score Martin Campbell and he was like apparently he was like this is really really bad mm-hmm. and he I can't remember who it was who rescored that scene but for a few certain scenes where the Bond theme comes in oh and just like spikes yeah like, he, whoa, ga- he gave yeah. this guy like a, it was a 48 hour job and it's like we need an orchestral Bond theme for some of these shots in this film because this soundtrack is just not working so yeah, they did, and then this massive crescendo, and this da 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 da. This tank just bursts through this thing and just starts wiping out St. <laughs> Petersburg. It's just sublimely shot, and you get the signature Pierce's idea of like looking around at the mess and just sitting back and straightening his tie. Oh, that he and he did that in all four of his films. That whole signature tie straightening movement, and but it just it has so many set pieces and so many clever jokes and the performances and the chemistry between Pierce and Isabella Skorupko and the chemistry between even him and Judy Dench, when they're sitting in the office and she's so cold and it cements that she's a new iteration of M. And it's just like, they even put it in the script. They even say, Oh, the new M is a woman. And this Robbie Coltrane just like throwing it out, bowling it out of the park is just fantastic as Zukovsky. And just, It's just set up and filmed really well, Mm. and I've always enjoyed it. And oh oh, I forgot, yeah, Um, the new gun barrel, (laughs) where instead of just a static shot, it's an actual CG gun barrel with the reflections moving around. And it's just such a subtle touch, and it just works so well for for the modern 90s version, where... If you don't look at it it's not moving and it looks like the old gun barrel but it's completely cg and it just rotates and it's it's just beautifully shot but and bmw we had bmw in there as well (laughs) and again if it wasn't for bmw we wouldn't have had the film because they threw a lot of cash at the film yeah said here make your film or we'll build you a car and then you get the z3 which was purposely designed was it to be a model car wow yep I think in 94, in 94, they were in people pre-production. They approached car companies and BMW said, yeah, we'll give you all this money. They literally designed wow the, the Z3 Roadster to I be always, in a Bond film.
0: I always kind of wondered why it was suddenly a BMWs and not Aston Martin's. And, it was all uh, to do with funding and money.
1: Yeah. Um, it's like, uh, James Bond went from, again, from Rolex watches to Amiga because Amiga in 95 were like, have a bunch, have a shed load of cash, make your movie. Yeah.
0: I mean, that, that. that is one of the things about the James Bond film, especially in the 90s. It was a bit of a sellout, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, even, even Daniel it's, Craig
2: with Heineken bottles. Oh, the- yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. The, the, the
1: product placement is rife in these films, but if it wasn't for the product placement, it wouldn't have got made. It wouldn't have got made. Yeah. Which is why you have Omega and it's, you see the Omega watch, you see it on 006, even has his old version. So you see two Amigas in the same shot and then you have another close up of the laser watch and then you have another close up of the watch being on his wrist while he's doing something else and you know again it's it teeters on that Wayne's World sponsorship yeah, gag. Exactly. Yeah. With the Pepsi and the pe- the pe- the Pepsi and the Doritos and the Pizza Hut and Yeah. um but Bond films have always done that yeah. since the 60s and but also it works in universe as well because you see adverts everywhere.
3: If you're out in a, if
1: you're out in a main city, you see adverts for everything. So it kind of works, but it does go a bit OTT sometimes in a Mm. Bond movie or any film. Yeah. You know, look at Man of, was it Man of Steel, for instance? Yes. Where they're in downtown Smallville and it's just like. How many more ads for <laughs> shops and restaurants could there possibly be in one shop? Like
2: middle town, like little oh. podunk town in America, and you've got freaking... KFC? Um, <laughs> yeah, what was it now? What's the one that's prominent in it? I can't remember now. Damn.
1: Um, it was just I blocked everywhere. this film completely out of my memory, Denny's so I've got was. no idea. Yeah. So, uh, I mean... Yeah, GoldenEye just... And the performances from Famka Jensen as well. I mean, seriously, that... that oh, Jesus. No, <laughs> she was so young as well, and she was just like cemented her reputation in these films yeah. to a point where it's just like that was amazing mm-hmm. as Xenia yeah, on a top and again a perfect joke executed by Pierce on a top and it's just it just works so well they didn't overdo it and it's lovely seeing Desmond Llewellyn back as Q yeah. and seeing his all yeah. equipment and
0: um, would you say the uh, song by Tina Turner was, was, it, was a fitting Bond theme it's actually for this one?
1: one of my favourites and always has been Okay. Uh, I think CS? because because I was young at the time, and obviously Bond was back, and you needed some powerhouse ballad, really. And with Tina Turner, and yes, it's written by Bono and the Edge, but you know, nothing. No one's perfect, but it's just a <laughs> belter of a song, and you've you've got the the pre the title's going over it about the you know dissolving of the um I the um oh my god. <clears throat> um Iron Curtain. Kind of, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> right. uh, of communism and just like yeah, hammering and destroying all the remnants of it and it's just And again I uh, Sean Bean's performance as Alec Trevelyan doesn't get so much love and it should do because it's just stunning. hmm Yeah. Um, did really he good job. plays off with Pierce so well. Yeah. And you believe that they've had these these missions together. You believe they've known each other for like ten years. Yeah, and I believe, if I remember rightly, he actually auditioned for the role, and they liked him so much that they had him on for the villain. I might be getting my facts wrong, but
0: <laughs> no, surely not.
1: No, but um, <laughs> yeah, and Samantha Bond as Money Penny, I thought yeah. she was fantastic, and real. They really modernised it as well. They like properly made it, and it still it still has been up until this point very relevant. Sure, to modern day, like.
0: Yeah, Um, so while we're on the subject of James Bond, quickly before we move on, um, I want to hear from both of you which is your favourite James Bond. Chris, you could go first. Is is Um, Pierce your favourite Bond, or 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 one of the others?
1: Mine is tied with uh, Timothy and Daniel. Oh, okay. They come joint top. Unfortunately, all you James (laughs) Bond fans out there, Mm -hmm. Pierce was okay, but was again a victim of design by committee
2: uh Rich, who's your favourite Bond? My answer is going to be pretty much identical to Chris's. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I love Timothy Dalton, and at the same time, it's hard to gauge him because he did only have a very you know, short crack at it. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we've had way more time to grow with Daniel Craig and you know, just become and, and, you know, enamoured with his take on the character. So... I could say I'd lean more towards Daniel Craig, but that also seems like the really easy answer. Um yeah. So I'm going to kind of say it's a bit of a split between the two. Yeah. I've, I'm, like, whatever fine about um, Connery. I don't like Roger Moore at all. Um, and Lazenby, um, a great... A okay, good Bond in a great it's, movie, um, It's kind yeah. of the best way to put it. Yeah. And, he does kind of get shat upon, and because you know he did the one film, and I do still think sometimes as well. There's that sense, especially you know, with British audiences, British people, they will kind of write him off because he wasn't actually British, and that kind of taints him to some people. I don't know why, but whatever.
0: Well, if you two are interested, then uh, my favourite James Bond was uh, <coughs> Roger Moore. So uh, moving on. always one always one the Alan Alan Partridge pick
2: stop getting Bond wrong (laughs) love a bit of Roger Moore (laughs) it's cool (laughs) bit of bush (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: as Chris mentioned uh, Golden O was released uh, six years after Licence to Kill But while politics had changed dramatically in the interim, *GoldenEye* was the first James Bond film to be produced since the fall of the Berlin Wall, the collapse of the Soviet Union, and the end of the Cold War. And there was no, and there was doubt over the character's relevance in the modern world. Some in the film industry felt it would be futile for the Bond series to make a comeback, and that it was best left as an icon in the past. The producers even thought of new concepts for the series, such as a period piece set in the 1960s, a female 007 or a black James Bond. Ultimately, they chose to return to the basics of the series, not following the sensitive and caring bond of the Dalton films or the political correctness that started to permeate the decade. Uh, The film came to be seen as a successful revitalization, and it effectively adapted the series for the 90s uh, one of the one of golden innovations includes the casting of a female m in the film the new m quickly establishes her authority remarking that bond is a sexist meganist dinosaur and a relic of the cold war mm-hmm. this is an early indication that bond is portrayed as far less tempestuous than timothy dalton's bond from 1989 thanks to wikipedia for those interesting facts <laughs>
2: Turn on the big words there, Jason. I know, right? It was quite quite heavy. I'm (laughs) telling you, I think I pulled it off quite well.
0: Uh, Released on the 24th of November 1995, it had a $60 million budget uh, and it ranked in $352 million. So uh, happy days. That's a worldwide. And it's sitting quite comfortably with a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. Nice pick. Uh, Chris uh, beautiful beautiful
1: yeah I didn't want to I could have gone into so much more detail but I'm sure you I could. had to rein it in because <laughs> my back and timing yeah. is just yeah exactly <laughs>
0: uh, well maybe one day we'll do a James Bond special and we'll <laughs> just let you go <laughs> <laughs> just sit back and relax yeah sit back and enjoy the ride <laughs> uh, let's move on then to Rich's pick mm. Mm. Rich you, you've got the surprise I'm always for as me. Yeah.
2: Um, so uh, I've got uh so go on Jason, you're no, the host. I was just about to
0: say um what wonderful movie have you chosen to talk about. Well,
2: <laughs> probably going a bit <laughs> strong well, but um yeah. I've got Mighty Morphin Power paringes the movie uh which was the first paringes movie made after the fall of the Berlin Wall.
3: This summer Our world will come under attack. The mayor has declared a state of emergency. By the most evil force ever known. He has armies at his command. And only one power on Earth can stop him. adventure begins Hi honey I'm home You garlic like sucking single brains <laughs> We're the Power Rangers Ooh, Where's my autograph book? More action <laughs> More adventure, more power. The Ooze is back. Use, you lose. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers: The Movie. Yes,
2: yeah, so this one's th- this one's like the whole franchise itself. This one's an interesting one, and in that. It was something I was into at the time that it probably wasn't age-appropriate, like things that came before it. I mean, yeah, I love my Turtles, my Ghostbusters, and all that stuff, but I was already, like, what, 11, 12 at the height of Power Rangers, and I was one of those kids in school that was kind of into it. Yeah. Didn't you want really want to broadcast it too much because you got
1: rinsed, yeah. you know? Yeah.
2: Everyone's talking about fingering and shagging by then, and I'm watching, <laughs> yeah. you know, Pudgy Pig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People's you weren't the only Sparks one. coming out of people's chests. Yeah. You know, I'm like, this is the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so I was heavily into the show for its, you know, flaws. Loved it. Very colorful. I, I knew it was part of Japanese, mostly Japanese, partly American, but. I just got heavily into it and then they announced a film and I think Mm. like a lot of things we talk about that we're into it came at that time when I started to kind of understand how the sausage was made and I started to look at the intricacies of it it wasn't just like oh it's Perringer's film it was like I saw photos in a magazine about it and I could see Mm. the color palette was duller and the suits looked really cool and had a kind of armored look to them and I got (laughs) into that I saw the production at play and I knew it was like our paranges. It was all American, completely produced in one place. It wasn't spliced footage. And it, it just got me excited. Like, again, like I said, seeing that White Ranger suit for the first time, I just shit myself. Like, and I just, <laughs> I need to see this film when it comes out. And I so said, I was like 12 at this point. And I knew I'd be one of the oldest people in the, in the, you know, in the theatre. And I, I did see it in the cinema when it came out. Um, and I had a really really fun time. Um, it was everything it needed to be. It was just a big episode of the show. Um, it did things obviously you couldn't do with a Saban TV budget. Um, the opening starts with freaking you know a skydiving scene set to Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm like, this is fantastic. This is this is a film. This the the way it's shot. You know the grain the colour grading, it was just like, I'm watching a Parringers film that looks like, you know, high budget and... That, that's one of the things I really liked about
0: TV shows that got adapted to a movie. You you could see it was kind of like the same, but it was different. Yeah. Uh, with those different shots and that slightly more money that they get from a TV, TV episode. Um, yeah. Just made it that little bit more special, didn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, everything about this, seeing the, the tweaks, like, you know, chrome, metallic, whatever, the logo, that absolutely sweet version of the theme tune for the movie, which I love. I mean, the original theme is a banger anyway. It's pure, you know, it is pure metal. The, the guitars in it are just fantastic. And then the movie version just blows it away. Mm. But yeah, from from the moment they jump out of the plane to you know, the, 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 the awkward green screen, tommy being a badass you know skyboarding it just, it just it hit the ground running you got hyped it was everything the show should have been a bunch of teens just doing things that normal people wouldn't do i don't know where they get their money from for these pursuits, but they do it and they're just constantly moving they just jump off a plane land on the ground and now they're rollerblading it's like yeah sure <laughs> like like literally breathless transition into another activity that i wouldn't have the energy or the care to do um and then, obviously, we get into yeah, proper Power Rangers um, staples. You see Rita and Lord Zed and I was just in my element in cinema. I'm like, yes, yeah. it's the TV show. And then they kind of get pushed to one side, but then we get um, Belloc from uh, Indiana Jones <laughs> yeah. in the form of uh, Ivan News, <laughs> which yeah. I was like, again, you've got Paul freaking Freeman. He's an actor in Power Rangers. I'm like, great, this is a film. This is a proper, proper film. And it's great. He's got a great presence. You can tell he's having... A lot of fun, just having it up. Um, I was going to say,
0: did he? Did he look like he regretted his choice on going into that film or not? But you answered the question.
2: I well, I, I can't. I guess I can't speak for the man. I've never actually read anything he said about it. He may have shat up on it. It might be one of those you know, Mario Brothers movie affairs, but. Watching him on screen, it looks like he's having fun. You know, yeah, you get these actors, they, just, yeah. they sink their teeth into something and no kids are going to watch it, no kids are going to boo him in the cinema. It's pantomime. It's, mm. it's, love it. Love it. Um, probably it was an easy shoot as well, a few days in Australia, doing some, you know, short scenes and then boom, done. You know, mm-hmm. get it all, get it all done in a few days because you've got all the prosthetics to wear as well because the guy is head-to-toe purple and oozy and it's... Yeah, he he's just having lots of fun and I think you feel that as an audience member. Um but the f- the so the show does kind of follow the pattern of yeah, you know, the movie does kind of follow the sh- the pattern of the show. Ivanu shows up, you see the new henchmen, um, I forget what they're called, and then you get to the Parangers fight and the morphing sequence and again I'm in the cinema, I'm like, it's fucking on, <laughs> let's do this and it is an incredibly short fight but it's a very very cool fight and even things like the fact that they're fighting on this construction site but it's at night time as well and that's not something watching the tv show for the, like you know the three years prior to the film coming out I'm like I've never seen the parringers at night before and it, it sounds such a weird observation but again it felt like okay I'm watching this in a different lens it looks darker it looks grittier and it looks cool so I just got heavily into it and yeah there's so much to say i mean beyond that then the film completely kind of goes in a different direction and you could say many people will say that's where it kind of goes off the rails a bit when the Parangers lose their powers and then they get sent off to some island somewhere near new south wales and uh <laughs> <laughs> and then they're trying to you know of, of course yes zordon dies before that spoilers that was sad um so they end up on this island, and um, they meet a woman called um, Dolcea, I think her name was. She was something for the dads, I can't remember. But, um, so yeah, they end up on this island, and then they run into a bunch of skeleton dinosaurs. Keep in mind, this was like two years after
1: Jurassic I, Park. I loved so, that scene. That yeah. was, it was great.
2: And this is a bit where Rocky says, welcome to Jurassic Park. Yeah. And it's like pure <laughs> pop. Pure, and. Even then, again, that as well, it was like something I didn't have in Parringers because there was a pop culture reference. You didn't get those in the show. It was very on the nose, yes, but it was good to kind of see Parringers existing in a world that we knew. They're talking about things that we talked about, whereas mm. the show felt very much like it existed in this weird bubble where nothing was referenced. It was all just everything that was happening in front of them. So that was kind of cool. But, yeah, that sequence of the dinosaurs, yes, it looks very wire-worky. And everything's kind of held together by... um, I, I don't know what the techniques they used, but, yeah, it, it's still an impressive sequence, even if the dinosaurs look like they're kind of weightless and being propped up. They're like the little like sock puppets in a way. They're, it's a really cool sequence. Um, the score for the film is fantastic. I forget who did the music. Yeah. Um, I know THX did the sound editing for it, and the, the film did sound really, really good. Um, again, like I said, the music throughout fantastic, sound effects great. <sighs> I just think this film could have been a complete turd, mm. and yes, to 80% of the audience, it was a turd. It was just noise and distraction. It was pure fast food for kids that just want to watch people unnecessarily doing backflips where they could just walk <laughs> from A to B. Um, yeah. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, the final Zord fight at the end is a CGI fucking awful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but was I excited at the time to see a Zord fight that wasn't people in costumes? Yes. And it it was cool. Um, yeah. I, it's just not a lot more I can say about it. No? It, it was fun to revisit it again. Um Tommy, the White Ranger, badass, will always be. Um, maybe Joe Johnson, love you. Um, <laughs> I met Balkan Skull once, that was cool. That, so, was, that was
1: amazing, that those, was one of my best convention experiences. Yeah.
2: That. Yeah. I met the Blue Ranger as well. So there's all those little things mm. that I think even watching the film now, I'm kind of reminded of it and puts a smile on my face. Things that I felt then, things that I've done since, related to it. It, it sticks with you. Hmm. Parenting just was something I was kind of embarrassed to be into, but deep down I didn't care. It made me happy. Yeah. Um, and the film made me happy. It's not one of the best things ever, but it did everything it needed to do. It was very much a product of its time. They had to capitalize on it. They had to put a film out there, get it made, make some money. Didn't make much money, but they made some money. Um, yeah, just do it before it, you know, the franchise burned out. Um, um that that line you said a minute ago
0: about embarrassed uh to be a Power Rangers fan um I I mean you wasn't the only one obviously that it was big enough to have a movie created about the the TV show I mean I mean, I can't say much about Power Rangers I I was one of those people that looked at it and scoffed at it because yeah. of the way it looked um and I feel a little bit bad about that now thinking about it because I I went by its looks and not by everything else that might have been going on that it was just a fun thing to watch um, you know it had all the rubber it looked rubbery and like the effects were shit and um, you know what's all this overacting stuff going on and it, for for a person that was kind of into science, science fiction and kind of the, the kind of shows that are a bit out there um, Power Rangers just didn't uh i don't know like i said i I kind of went i'm not watching that stuff i mean is that probably why you felt embarrassed because you thought a lot of people felt that way about it
2: it was purely an age thing i felt like i was just over the just over the line like there was plenty of things that kids would get into at that point i think it was kind of unless you were like six between the years of like six maybe seven eight years old you're probably too old for it um Uh, It was almost like, I mean, nowadays, you'd have been in your element, because shit, nerd culture and people loving, openly loving new, new shows that are coming out. People in their 30s are watching them, but then it very much was, oh, that's kids stuff, and now you're growing up, and it felt like it was that last gasp I had, having left my childhood behind, and there was this show that I wished I was maybe a few years younger so I could mm-hmm. openly just be in love with it. I could have all the toys, but by then I was like, I can't really have the toys. Yeah, did have them. I had the Megazord. <laughs> yeah, my cousin, my
1: cousin Curtis yeah. did, and it was the best toy I've ever seen in badass, my life. Badass, I was, badass. And again, like you, I was I saw it in Fabulous from Cinema um, with a group of friends from where we used to live, and <clears throat> it was just an amazing experience. It was just like, like you said, it was loud. It was yeah, you know, great set pieces, everyone's hamming up and you've got the banter between Rita, Zed and Ivan Ooze is just legendary and Goldar as well. Oh Goldar. It's like Lord Zed's is just sublime in it and when she threatens to have chicken wings <laughs> to Goldar and it's just like what? <laughs> but again, I think we're watching Power Rangers when was when did it come to the UK? No, 93 94
2: would have been like sky, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, so um, we were watching it on on BBC or ITV. ITV, yeah. Probably ninety, late ninety three, early ninety four. Because I remember not being at secondary school.
2: It was still being around the point and as well. I think where you were seeing like Jason and Trini and like Zach mm. in the show. Film oh film yeah. Over here, and then and I, like, was like, Rocky and <laughs> I was like, who's <laughs> that?" I was like, "Who?" I,
1: I had no idea who who's wearing. Before everyone had mainstream internet as well. It's like, yeah. And I remember, I remember sitting there with sitting. My mates, we were like, we don't know who these people are. Like, we still got, like you said, rich. Rich, we've got like the original crew still. We're watching. <laughs> but yeah. those those suits, mate. Oh my god, they, they they hold up like oh they they put those original Japanese leotards to shame. The armor on it and the gadgets that they put into them as well, like the. The searchlights and stuff, it's just like, oh, these are amazing.
2: Yep. Uh, I mean, on top of that, as well, I mean, all I can say, along with um, Dumb and Dumber around that time, great movie soundtrack as well. You had, <laughs> yeah. you know, Chili Peppers and um, High Ground, you had, um, um oh, what's it called again now? Um, Trouble by that one. or oh, what are they called? Yeah. uh oh, that yeah. was it. Yep. shampoo does it. It's yeah, shampoo. Trouble. Yeah, Van Halen. Dreams. I'm like, this is a cracking soundtrack. And mm-hmm. then obviously you had all the actual mu- you know, music for the movie as well, like the incidental stuff, which was banging. It, yeah, good yeah. stuff. Good stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of wish, in some ways, that I was so negative to the Power Rangers back then and. Kind of wish I gave it a chance. Um, even after just hearing what you said about the film, kind of gave me instant regrets about it. Also, um, I, I completely missed the boat on Power Rangers and what it uh, what it brought. So I
1: think you were, or you would have been secondary school, wouldn't you? Uh,
0: probably. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, I, maybe I had moved on from that kind of show. Um, maybe I was a little bit older. But I mean, it's Richard shown. Like, age doesn't really.
2: No, it doesn't mean no, anything. You know, you're laughing, but then it was
1: like, "Oh yeah, I'm a kid. Or, yeah, oh, I'm not a kid." Well, <laughs> coming from coming from a Star Trek nerd, that was just like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." It, Into my true. sci-fi, but no one else was kind of thing, and I'm like, oh, "Great." Oh, yeah.
0: Um, well, in an original script, the Rangers were supposed to fight giant rat monsters that Ivan Ooze created because the suits didn't work well enough and looked too low budget for the movie. The rat monsters were instead replaced by the Ooze creatures that Ivan creates in the film. However, the rat creature suits didn't go to waste either. Instead, they would later appear in the Return of the Green Ranger storyline of the Power Rangers television series.
2: Huh? right.
0: And uh, in an advertisement in a Sydney newspaper, telling fans to come and see the fireworks show with the Power Rangers at Darling Harbour, was a ploy to get people to f- to the filming of the final crowd scene, so the producers would not have to pay for extras.
2: <laughs> oh,
0: <fuck your laughs> love it, love it,
2: beautiful, funny um, I- bullshit.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I pulled up a critic a uh, review of power rangers the movie and it's by karen james of the new york times and she thought that s- story-wise it resembles multiple episodes of the television series strung together with slightly better special effects and that the result was loud headache inducing and boring for adults but that children would enjoy <laughs> it james further stated that too much of it of its running time is spent showing the rangers without their powers uh roger Ebert gave it only half a star out of a possible four, saying that it is as close as you can get to absolute nothing and still have a product to project on the screen, comparing it to the synthetic foods in brightly marketed packaging with no nutritional content. He felt that the characters, with the exception of Ivan Ooze, curious that 6,000 years ago he would have had an English name. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. I have no idea. No. Um, lacked personalities, and that the scenes of monsters rampaging through the city harkened back to the worst Japanese monster films. Would you would you say that's fair,
2: critics? Why do you use Japanese monster films as like a negative? What the hell? Like that's a good <laughs> yeah. thing. If you're if you're if you're capturing that, you did it well. Like I understand what Ebert's point was. So hmm.
0: Well, he's obviously running out of material to put in his review,
2: so... Uh, yeah, I mean, he looked like a Power Ranger monster, but at the end, didn't he, so... Yeah. Uh, par- um, sorry, I should have said that as <laughs> <wrong, doesn't. laughs> Um But yeah, he's anchored me. And speaking of the Power Rangers, Roger, <laughs> either, how dare you?
0: <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Richard's on right a wall now. path now. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's going on a Twitter wall path right now. <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> can hear, you can hear the tapping, all right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, he ain't going to block me, so I'm all right about it, so... Power Rages was released on the 21st of July 1995 with a budget of $20 million. Um, It took $66 million worldwide and uh, sits at a nice 5.2 out of 10 on IMDb. So that's good. It had a good return, I'd say. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. Yeah. Yeah. Happy with that, I'd say, if I was uh, a producer or something at the film okay well let's get on to my film quickly um as uh, time's ticking on and the film that i chose from 1995 was apollo 13.
3: i've been going over the numbers again Have they called up with a re-entry plan yet, because we're coming in too shallow. They we're working on something, Jack. Fast. Just hold on. I can't uh, remember right. the ratio of temperature. Uh, we got no references on board. Well, let's see if Houston can pull up the mill specs on it. L- listen, listen, plan. listen. They gave us too much Delta V. They had us burn too long. At this rate, we're going to skip right out of the atmosphere, and we're never going to get back. What are you talking about? How would you figure that? I can add. Jack, they've got half the PhDs on the planet Houston working says this says we are right thing. on the money. And what if they had made a mistake, all right, and there was no way to reverse it? Do you think they would tell us? There's no reason for them to tell us. What do you mean they're not going to tell us? That's bullshit. All right, there's a thousand things that have to happen in order. We are on number eight. You're talking about number 692. And in the meantime, I'm trying to tell you we're coming in too fast. I think they know it, and I think that's why we don't have a goddamn re plan. That's all right? totally noted. Thank you, Jack. Ow! God! Damn it! Hey! Piece of shit! This piece of shit's gonna get you home. all. Alright. That's cause that's the only thing we got left, Jack. Now what are you saying, Fred? Well, I think you know what I'm saying. Now wait a minute. All I did was stir those tanks. What was that gauge reading before you hit the switch? Hey, you don't tell me how to fly the damn CM, alright? They don't brought even me in here to do you? a job. They asked me to stir the damn tanks, and I stirred the tanks! Jack, stop kicking yourself in the ass. This is not my fault! Shit. No one is saying it is. If I'm in the left-hand seat, when the call comes up, I stir the tanks. Yeah, well, tell him that. I just asked you what the gauges dream. And you don't know. All right, look, we're not doing this, gentlemen. We are not going to do this. We're not going to go bouncing off the walls for ten minutes. Because we're just going to end up right back here with the same problems. Trying to figure out how to stay alive. Aquarius, this is Houston. Are we on Vox? No, we're not on Vox. Yeah, Houston, this is Aquarius. Go ahead.
0: Now, before I go on, um, have you two seen this film? yes okay no yes I
1: you've never seen apollo 13 no and the funny thing uh, is uh, like
2: more recently in recent years i've got more and more into like space stuff and it's a film i should go and watch but i've never watched it i meant to i never did so this is enlightening for me uh apollo 13 it's it's based on true
0: events of the apollo 13 space flight um and, and follows the three astronauts that that were took part in that flight and um, it's got such a great cast in this film Uh, Tom Hanks Gary Sinise Ed Harris um, Kevin Bacon Uh, I know I'm forgetting someone who am I forgetting Chris am I forgetting someone
1: who have you said sorry
0: Tom Hanks Gary Sinise Ed Harris Kevin Bacon
1: the late Bill Paxton
0: as that's it Bill Paxton and uh, Apollo 13 it was one of the I think it was one of the first space films I remember watching but I really appreciated it from the like real life aspect that Ron Howard kind of tried to put into the film um, it really felt like it was giving me an insight into space travel and the, the what was involved in it you know the the, the uh, equipment and everything else that they used in the film—I think a lot of it was from from NASA, NASA and um, or just replicated from real things. But they put so much detail into those pieces that it really came across on the screen. And um, just just obviously with the the kind of cast that they got for this film, really meant that they got some really top-notch acting out of out of the actors. Um, which obviously helped in the film, but I think they just played this film so they were so played so well. You know, they they emphasised on um, I'm really sorry I can't remember the name, the, the character names, but like Hank's wife uh, and their relationship and what was going on in his family as he was having all these troubles it, it, on the spaceship. Um, I'm saying spaceship like it's fucking Star Trek. Um, (laughs) Do you know what I mean? What? what It still is a spaceship. I know, right? Um,
1: That's if you believe we went to the moon. That's for another podcast.
0: That is for another podcast. And um, it really grounded the story, really made it so, like, you could emphasise with with the character, uh, with the wife, you know, like, it. I don't know, instead of it being like the whole film was just set in in space and about these three astronauts um, trying to deal with these issues that they were getting um, to, to see the other side and what the families was, what was happening with the families as well, just really helped ground the film for me um, made it more real. And uh, I think that like Ron Howard really dealt really well with the, um, the action pieces as well about when things did go wrong and, um, the training that the actors must have gone through to to make it feel so real um like when they were dealing with the issues and and going through the manuals and all the buttons and the, everything else yeah i just it was just a, a really mem- memorizing film for me to watch when it came out just to see that in action um was it that the same for you chris
1: yeah i I have very fond memories of Apollo 13. I remember watching, I didn't watch it obviously when it was out because obviously I was too young I think, but I remember we rented it from a video store, must be maybe a year or so afterwards, and I remember at the time I was prop it into space, so that was everything from fictional space travel to real life space travel, and I just remember being like you, captivated by how they recreated mission control and... Rebuilt the Lunar Lander st- stuff and the, the attention to technical detail as well and <laughs> costuming and everything. That. And as I, I watched it, um, I think two weeks ago, just before we were originally going to record. And I remember sitting there going, wow, like coming from someone like me who just, I love movie props and the, the way, the way they're made and the attention to how they're produced to make them authentic. I remember sitting there the other week going, this looks, Beautiful. Even now, film, doesn't it? You Even could, now. Yeah, you can mute the TV and just look at the production. It's just stunning. The way it's done. And it just, I remember being, I was obsessed with everything spaced in the night space. And yeah, it didn't speak to me as much because I think I was still finding my, my interests at that point. Because I must, i probably, is it 1995? So I would have literally just been 11. Like just so yeah and when I you yeah, watched it I was just like this is beautiful even the shots filmed in the capsule I mean you know the actors are all wires but they really sell it it's done yeah really well and it's so believable yeah and obviously like like any film like that it doesn't have much action set pieces so you have to make the action like say the way the ship is shot from the outside for the special effects shots you have to make it look and feel dangerous basically you have to keep that interest and obviously not a lot happens in national mission control <laughs> um, but at this point it did because they were on their way to the moon and then they lost their oxygen and I just love seeing that problem solving when they're like you know they they work out that like the was it the CO2 scrubber yeah they needed to create it's made a by of... a different company yeah to the one that's in the lander and they were like we need to get this square peg in this round hole yeah. and was it you have was it like was it you have 12 hours to do it <laughs>
0: but it's so believable yeah. like you yeah. you can just believe that that's what NASA would need to do need to have those kind of people on hand yeah. in case they had these kind of problems mm-hmm. um, and it just made it even more real for me yeah. when I watched the film it helped that this film was made when it was made, because mm. I think if it was made today there'd be too much CGI. Mm. This is what used. I mean. I'm
1: like when I brought I, I bring up miniatures and and bigotures like almost every podcast we record, but I it's one of my dream jobs and I would literally give up anything to go and work in a special effects house, such as say Ardman animations or Leica Studios or work for a Wes Anderson, if you've seen a Wes Anderson movie, seriously, check that dude's stuff out, it looks stunning. Have you guys seen any Wes Anderson films? I
2: have not.
1: Honestly, not not a while. Again, it's very Marmite, like you like his stuff or you don't, but. Very twee and, uh. Yeah, he matches his very (laughs) irreverent look at the world, but he marries it beautifully by using as much Physical props and miniatures and animation when he can. Perfect. film. what have you seen? The Life Aquatic
2: no. with Bill Murray. Yes. Yeah.
1: And again, that 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 cut that um not cutaway. Is it a cutaway where you got different rooms on the submarine? It's a film about a film within a film. So it's a film about the production of a film, but within another film. And by Wes Anderson. And Leica Studios and Ardman still using miniatures and still using traditional animation. Hollywood has gone back to that. It never left the James Bond films, but it's left franchises like Star Trek. And it's a shame Mm. because the miniature work for especially spaceships, like we talk about Apollo 13. If that wasn't made physically, it wouldn't look right because your eyes would tell you that's a flat image. CG can say to you, This is a 3D image and this is happening within this four dimensional space. And it's so, like, no, fuck off. It's, it's my eyes are telling me it's a two D image, but she's been tricked into believing it's a three D image. But if you'd watch Apollo thirteen and I was blown away by the effects in this this film. Yeah. I thought it was stunning. The way the explosion happens and the way they optically match the special effects to it and they film all at a high speed and the intricacy of physic they and i believe for the set as well they did they they did one tracking shot in the film which i think was a, a green or blue screen map where you've got i think it's tom hanks's jim Lowell looking out of the window and the camera tracks away from the window and it tracks over the surface of the capsule and then to the rear end of it as it's hurtling towards nothingness and i think that was achieved with full-scale mock-up on the on the set and then f- literally i don't know how they did it but they motion controlled into the miniature to get the because they didn't build the whole thing to film in but it's just yeah physical all the way just it works so well and you need to when you look at nasa stuff and it's just like it's so intricate that you can see everything and that's what I loved about watching, revisiting Apollo 13, because I haven't, I must, I don't think I've seen it for about 15 years. And I was just like, this is just a joy to watch.
2: Yeah, um, I need to, I need to give it a crack, definitely, after mm. having done the spot. Um, yeah. It's
1: just, it's just stunning. It's one of those films that are shot beautifully. It's framed beautifully. And it's just, like, there was a, I think I brought it up before. I can't remember who it was. Someone released a, a cut of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it was completely black and white and no sound. I think it was done for a film school and they said watch how Spielberg frames a shot. And you don't need the colour, you don't need the audio, just black and white and watch how Spielberg frames these shots with the foreground and sides and background. Exactly the same with Ron Howard and this film is stunning. Hmm. It's just beautiful.
0: It's the best film he's done.
1: Yeah, it's just it looks and it works so well and it's the believable characters played by the actors is just stunning and ed harris's turn as i can't remember the the flight controller's name it escapes me but ed harris went full method mm. uh, started smoking cigars and wearing waistcoats and stuff like that i think he i think he even went to a point of finding a tailor to make different waistcoats so ed harris could i think he could wear them out and stuff he went proper method and Ed Harris is fantastic in this you actually believe he's this no shit talking NASA CEO just like get the job done or you fuck off <laughs> or you kill these astronauts and it's just great and it's so suspenseful as well even though you know they're going to survive you know it's a true story but one of them gets ill in a capsule and stuff and He's you oh.
0: yeah, yeah but, but it's uh, just a great
1: movie just, yeah. yeah just watch it it's just fantastic
0: um, I watched, we watched this with my eldest son, and afterwards I asked him what he thought, and he said, Yeah, it was all right. So, um, that, that's, that's a high ranking from, from my son to, to get an all right. So, uh, Apollo 13 has succeeded in, in that. <laughs> Apparently, when planning the film, director Ron Howard decided that every shot of the film, would be original and that no mission footage would be used. The oh. spacecraft interiors uh, were constructed by the Kansas, Cosmosphere and Space Center's SpaceWorks, which also restored the Apollo 13 command module. Two individual lunar modules and two command modules were constructed for filming, while well, each was a replica uh, composed of some of the original Apollo materials. They were built so that different sections were removable which enabled filming to take place inside the capsules. Spaceworks also built modified command and lunar modules for filming inside a Boeing KC-135 reduced gravity aircraft and the pressure suits worn by the actors which are exact reproductions of those worn by the Apollo astronauts, right down to the detail of being airtight. When suited up with their helmets locked in place. The actors were cooled by air pump, pumped into the suits so that they could breathe exactly as in launch preparations for a real Apollo mission.
1: I had no idea they did that in much detail.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. Like when I say when they went into so much detail to to recreate the realism of what what they do. But again, do. With,
1: with methodical filmmakers like Ron yeah. Howard, you if you make it believable for the actors, they're fully immersed before they even say a line. Yeah. And yes, it, it will be difficult. But I I love method directors like like that, like Christopher Nolan as well. Mm-hmm. Who, yeah, it's become cliched like Christopher Nolan stuff. But he he has kept some of Hollywood's old practices um, still going um, yeah. in his films, and the same with Ron Howard. Every time I bring out a film, it's all done as practically as they possibly can, and, and it's fantastic.
0: Just reaps the benefits.
1: Yeah, it just. Yeah. By fully immersing your actors, you fully immerse your audience, and uh, it just it works on so minute detail level as well. I had no idea they filmed in near zero g hair, hmm. near zero g either. I had no idea they did that,
0: but it it was worth it. Um, <clears throat> like I said, the, the the results were were amazing. Uh, producers had written the role of Jim Lovell with Kevin Costner in mind because of his facial facial similarities with the main character. Ultimately, Hanks was cast instead uh, for that role because of his knowledge of Apollo and space histories. Uh, Apollo thirteen was released on the thirtieth of June in nineteen ninety five in North America, and in September twenty second in nineteen ninety five in the UK. Uh, It had a budget of fifty two million dollars and raked in three hundred and fifty five worldwide.
2: Not too shabby.
0: No, not at all. And uh, sitting at six, seven point six out of ten on IMDb. There you go. That's our that's our movie picks for nineteen ninety five. So if you haven't watched any of those, then uh, that's what we suggest you you go back and find on Netflix or wherever you get your movies from and, and sit down and have a watch. Um, well, that's pretty much it for the episode. Uh, we've got one more quick thing to blast through before we go. Uh, you don't get away with it that easily, guys. Uh, we still have the awards game to quickly play before we go. And um, I've no idea with the scores. I think I fucked it up last time. Um, I think I asked Rich an extra question, which is how he got to win it eventually. So I'm sorry, Chris. When I was listening back to it, an Eddie, and I was like, oh, I think I asked Rich an extra question. Uh, so that's how seriously we take this. Uh, but... I've got it down as three each at the moment, so we'll just go with that, shall we? Sounds um, Yeah, and uh, obviously we're looking at the Oscars of 1995, so I've got the six categories up in front of me. Um, you both get a, a, to pick uh, an answer from each one and uh, see what how you get on. So Chris, can you want to start from, give me a number between one and six? Three. Number three. Best Actor. So the nominations were John Travolta for Pulp Fiction, Paul Newman for Nobody's Fool as Donald Sully Sullivan, Morgan Freeman for The Shawshank Redemption, Nigel Hawthorne for The Madness of King George, or Tom Hanks for Forrest Gump. Hmm. I think
1: it's either going to be Morgan Freeman or Tom Hanks, isn't it? You tell me. Is actor in a supporter role or lead actor?
0: Just, yep, lead actor. Best actor.
1: It's Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump. Okay. Because that raked in the awards. Uh,
2: yeah, I'm going to lean more towards Tom Hanks. I, I'm the same as that Morgan Freeman, but I will say Tom Hanks.
0: Okay. Uh, okay. Well, the... Winner was it was indeed Tom Hanks for Forrest Gump. Um, pretty easy to guess that one, I guess, wasn't it? It was. Uh, I I kind of I haven't looked through these, and I'm kind of hoping that Tom H- uh, Forrest Gump was one of these films that just raked it in. So, uh, well, let's just uh, see what happens, shall we? So, uh, one each at the moment. Well done, uh, Rich. Why don't you pick a number for the next category?
2: Um, I'm going to say five.
0: Number five is Best Supporting Actress. And the nominations were Irma Thurman for Pulp Fiction, Jennifer Tilley for Bullets Over Broadway, Rosemary Harris for Tom and Viv, Helen Mirren for The Madness of King George, or Diane West for Bullets Over Broadway.
2: I want to say Mirren, Helen Mirren. Okay. Chris?
1: Yeah. Joint. Harry Mirren. Sounds right. Mm.
0: Well, the winner was. Diane West for Bullets Over
2: Broadway. Oh. Damn, okay. Okay.
0: So, still one apiece. Still one apiece. Chris, please give me a number. What's left? We have. Uh, number six, number four, number one, number two. Number one. Number one is the best actress. So we have Jodie Foster as Nell, uh, Jessica Lange as Blue Sky from Blue Sky. Weona Ryder for Little Women. Susan Sarandon for The Client, or Miranda Richardson for Tom Aviv.
1: I want to say Susan Sarandon. Yeah, Final answer. Go
2: with that. Yeah. Okay. Rich. I'm going to go with Miranda Richardson.
0: Ooh, hot take. Well, it was indeed Jessica Lang. Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> Never mind, eh? Still one apiece. Doing well this week, guys. Doing well. Um, Rich, please pick a number. We've got number two, uh, number four, number six, also six, number six is Best Picture, the nominations for Pulp Fiction, The Shawshank Redemption, Quiz Show, Four Weddings and a Funeral or Forrest
2: Gump. Um
0: Gump Okay. Chris? Yeah,
1: it's Forrest Gump. Has to, be. Has to be.
0: Well You both. Got it right. It was indeed Forrest hey. Gump. That was an easy one, come on. It was one. easy. Yeah, it was easy. Uh two apiece. Uh Chris, we've got number four. Uh number two. Number two. Best Supporting Actor, and the nominations were Chaz Palmenteri for *Bullets Over Broadway*, Martin Landau for *Edward*, Samuel L. Jackson for *Pulp Fiction*, Gary Sinise for *Forrest Gump*, or Paul Schofield for *Quiz Show*.
1: Gary Sinise.
2: Okay, Rich. Uh, can you say the second one again for me, please? The first two. Uh, Chaz
0: Palminteri for Bullets mm. Over Broadway. Samuel L. Jackson for Pulp Fiction. Martin Landau for Edward. Paul Schofield for Quiz Show. Or Gary I'm Sinise. I
2: want to say Samuel L. Jackson.
0: Right, so we've got Gary Sinise... Forrest Gump for Chris, Samuel L. Jackson, Pulp Fiction for Rich, and the person who did win Best Supporting Actor in 1995 was Martin Landau, Landau yeah. however you pronounce his surname, for <laughs> Edward. Uh, which leaves, so I think that's still 2 2, which leaves uh, Best Director. And the uh, nominations for best director was Quentin Tarantino for Pulp Fiction, Woody Allen for Bullets Over Broadway, Robert Redford for Quiz Show, Robert Zemeckis for Forrest Gump. And got. Oh my god. Uh. Yeah, and some person. <laughs> for I to say this. For three colours, red, uh, cries soft, cries softov Kaislovsky. That's that's how I'm going. I is it? I don't look, don't
2: look this one. <laughs> need to look us
0: up. Are you going to see the the answer though?
2: are not you? Well, no. I'm just looking at a Wiki. I'm just looking. Literally, the first thing I see on the side. Yeah, Chris, is like Chris? Christov? Yeah, Christoph? Uh, something. Kislawski. it has got some symbols above the letters. Yes.
0: <laughs> that dude um, who directed Three Colours Red, which I've never heard of before. So. Uh, Chris, who do you think won best director?
1: Robert Zemeckis.
2: For Forrest Gump?
1: Yep.
0: Okay. Rich?
2: Oh, I'm going to say Zemeckis. I don't think it's anyone else.
0: Well, you're both right. It was indeed... Yeah. Robert Zemeckis, which makes it 3-3. So we've got a draw. So I'm going to pick a random category and um, that's going to be Best Animated Short Film. Uh, Excuse me. So the nominations for this was The Big Story, The Janitor, The Monk and the Fish, Triangle or Bob's Birthday. Who do you think won the Oscar for Best Animated Short Film? in 1995 out of those I don't know do any of those can you repeat those speeches yeah uh, The Janitor The Big Story The Monk and The Fish Triangle or Bob's Birthday
1: let's go for The Janitor sounds boring enough to win an Oscar
2: okay Rich I want to say Bob's Birthday just simply because I thought you were going to say Bob's Burgers <laughs> <laughs> so that's my logic okay
0: So we've got Chris with the janitor and Rich with Bob's birthday burger. The animated short film that won the Oscar in 1995 was Bob's Birthday. Well done. (laughs) Well Well done, Rich. My logic works. Bob's birthday burger, is smashed it. Uh, so that makes it rich for Chris 3 in the never-ending uh, award game. So well done, Rich. Congrats.
2: Thank you. You're
0: welcome. Well, let's uh, let's get out of here, shall we? It's been a long one, so uh, I'm sure that the, the listeners are itching to go and do whatever they need to go and do. So uh, listeners, thank you so much for listening. As always, we appreciate you spending your time with us. Uh, You can also hear me and Rich talk video games with Andrew and Steve on the Dreamcast Years podcast. And uh, you can also find me hosting the playlist podcast for The Cross Players. You can find them on Twitter at Dreamcast Years and The Cross Players. Don't forget, if you liked what you heard, then please consider checking out our Patreon. If you fancy throwing us a quid, it would really mean the world to us. You'll find a link tree link in the show notes, which has all our links, including our website, Twitter handles, and more. And if you have a few spare minutes, it would be great if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really will help the show be more discoverable, and I will read out the reviews on the show too. That is the end of podcast waffle. Done. Uh, final words, guys. Um, it's morphing time. Nice, Chris. Any final words?
1: So golden eye exists. Of all the things I could have said for that film, just
2: <laughs> said, "I'm invincible." Do
1: you know what? That didn't even occur to me. Alan Cumming, oh, that 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 guy. I'm did, invincible. I
0: was going to say, did you want to do it again?
1: <laughs> or you could, or you could go for uh, for England, James. No, for me, and then one of the coldest Bond kills where he just drops his best mate <laughs> wow.
0: perfect perfect way to end the podcast it's
1: also slug head as well <laughs> yeah spike them <laughs> um,
0: yeah yet again thanks for listening really do appreciate it um, all that's left for me to say is that you've been listening to What's Wrong With Wolfie a 90s podcast to the max we'll catch you next time take care bye bye
1: with Wolfie. I can hear him barking.